Hey, it's great to be with you guys. I feel so blessed to be here. I, I woke up this morning and I thought, man, I should, I should wear sandals and a t-shirt so I can be like Evan. And then I, then I looked outside, I stepped outside and I thought, wow, it really is December. <laughs> it really is December here. Oh, man. So I played safe. Well, it's, uh, it's such a joy to, to be with you. And I, I wish, you know, I wish I could be with you every, every weekend. I, I, you know, when we switched from Saturday to Sunday, I, I, that was a good decision. It was a wonderful thing. But the hard thing for me was uh, not being able to be here. But um, I, I love church history. And uh, one of the things that happened in uh, ancient Rome as the message of Jesus began to spread and people began to place their faith in Jesus and follow him and gather to worship him on Sundays. Uh, do you know why we worship on Sundays? It's because of the resurrection. Jesus rose again on Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning is Resurrection Sunday. We're reminded that he is making all things new. He's bringing new life into this crazy messed up world. And so uh, the early Christians, you know, they met in homes. And so they would, uh, they would buy several homes. In fact, archaeologists have found sometimes they would buy a series of homes, they'd break out walls, and they'd have places where people, up to 500 people could get together. I mean, this is way back, early Christianity, before uh, Constantine became in the Roman Empire. And so Christians, they were a persecuted minority, but man, they, they wanted to be together on Sundays. They knew that the presence of the Holy Spirit was there with them when they would worship, and they would seek God, and they would hear His Word. But they pretty soon realized, you know, we're not all going to fit in one place. So they ha- were meeting in different homes. And so, you know, there would be a group in Derek's home and there'd be a group at, Twi- group at Twyla's home. And they, but they were saying, we're still one church. <laughs> we're still one church. We can't be together, but, but we're still one church. And you know what they would do? They would, uh, they would take communion and they would break the bread and they would, they would give a loaf, a part of that bread to a runner. And, and someone would take off running. And so they'd run to Twyla's house and they'd have a runner go to Derek's house and because they wanted to say, we're still one church. We're still one family. We're still one body, even though we can't all be together in one place. So I feel like that this morning. We're going to take communion this morning uh, after the sermon. So if you didn't grab it on the way in, there's a tray there. There's a tray out there. And I would just invite you to hold on to that. And we're going to take that uh, together at the end of the sermon to be reminded that we are one body in Christ. Amen. Would you just close your eyes as, uh, as we prepare this morning? Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, my shepherd. And we can say that together this morning, that he's our shepherd. But I just want to ask, do you know that he's your shepherd? Can you say this morning, he is my shepherd? Can you say that this morning? He is my shepherd. He loves you. He is for you. He is the creator of the universe. He has all power, all authority, and he is for you. He is your shepherd. He is watching over you. He is caring for your soul. He leads us besides quiet waters, and by gentle streams, he restores our soul. Thank you for that promise. Restore us, Lord. Minister to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in First John, and uh, I hope you've been enjoying this series. Uh, whether you, I don't know if you realize this, but every, uh, every, other, every other week, we get, get together as a preaching team, and that includes Derek and, and Evan from downtown and Chris Parrish, and then uh, the group from up on the hill, and we get together, and we're, we're going through First John together, and that's some of my favorite times. I look forward to that time because 
we're there just to seek God in his word. And as we open 1 John and as we wrestle with the truths there, God is working in us. He's transforming us. And we just get the privilege of sharing what the things that we're being taught from God's word. But you know what's so beautiful? Uh, you have access to the very same spirit. And so you don't have to be a pastor to read the word of God <laughs> or to understand it. Because I believe the Holy Spirit is in you just as he is in me, just as he's in Derek or Evan. And you have access to God. He is your shepherd. And his word is available to you and to me. And so 1 John is a beautiful invitation to assurance. <laughs> assurance that you can know that you are a child of God and that God loves you. He's crazy about you. And so 1 John is all about assurance. It's about knowing who we are and what God has done to make us children, sons and daughters of the Father, of the King, of the Lord of all. And so First uh, John's written, uh, I think it's really a sermon, but it was written down to be shared by John the Apostle. He's an older man now. Uh, he's the last remaining disciple, apostle, who actually walked with Jesus physically, but he witnessed Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, and he dedicated the remaining of his life to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And he became a pastor. And we know historically that he probably became a pastor in the city of Ephesus. And so uh, he pastored a group of people like you and I uh, in a physical place in Ephesus in, in Turkey. And, uh, but, but he had influence over many, many different churches and he sent out this letter, this message of First John to remind the church who they were. Who, who God made them to be, called them to be in Jesus Christ. And he also wanted to warn the church because there were false teachers. There was something called Gnosticism. There was false beliefs that were rising up. And, and he, he wanted to warn the, the people of God that be careful, be careful. Because there is a spirit of the Antichrist. There is a spirit that is against God in this world that wants to destroy you. So be careful. And he reminds us of the truth of the gospel. And so we're going to be in chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. And uh, as you've been following along over the last months, we've been going verse by verse. And, and so this morning, we're just going to go through these verses of First John chapter 5. And um, something we do up the hill, I don't know if you guys do it down here, but we, we like to stand for the reading of the Word of God. So I'd invite you just to stand. And the reason we do that is just to say, we honor God's Word. We think this is important. And so let's stand in honor of His Word. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is the love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. We just sang about that, didn't we? This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts 
this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. You may be seated. Thank God for his word. Well, in our last preaching team, I asked the question, what are, what are some big takeaways from 1 John? And, and Evan uh, brought up, he said, man, this book really brings about the contrast, an incredible contrast between those who know God and those who don't know God. And, and this passage lays it out. I mean, he's been saying it over and over throughout the, the sermon of 1 John, but in this passage, we really see this contrast, either those who believe or don't. And you know, it's just interesting, you know, when we come to the person of Jesus, we can't just kind of uh, accept him as someone who was maybe a good person or a prophet or a historic figure. Like, Jesus makes a, a pretty radical claim. He says, I am the Son of God. And so either we believe what he has said is true or we say he's a liar, Those are really the the only two options we have. And that's what John is saying. You cannot come to the person of Jesus and just say, you know, I'm just going to hold him comfortably. (laughs) I'm just going to hold him at arm's length. Either either we accept him or we reject him. Because that's the only two options he gave us. And so verse 1 says, everyone who believes, and and I love that word everyone because it's available to everyone. (laughs) God is not selective in his choosing and his love. He, he invites. It says in the scriptures that, that he longs, he, he wants everyone to know him. God created man and woman to be in a relationship with him. And so 1 John is all about the relationship we can have with God. Everyone. And how do we have a relationship with God? Who believes. We're going to be talking a lot about that this morning. And, and I, what I love about John is he He's, he's not a linear teacher. In fact, uh, we're Western in our thinking. We've been shaped by Western ways of thinking, and that's not bad. That's good. But, but this is an Eastern book. Uh, Jesus came as an Eastern, Middle Eastern man, and, and so John is an Eastern man who God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the way he teaches, the way he communicates is not necessarily linear, but it's it's circular, and he's repeating things over and over. And so if you just do a reading through First John, you'll see he, he repeats things over and over and over, and he repeats this idea of believing. Believing. And that word is very important because it really means to have faith, to trust. But it's not just a one-time deal. It's, it's, if, if you look at the grammatical way that's written, it's a continuing it's believing, ongoing believing. And so one thing we have to do when we, as Westerners, come to these kind of words, we have to not think so separately from relationship. Because for us, a lot of times, we think of belief as a set of facts or a set of doctrines. Like, okay, Jesus existed, Jesus died on the cross, Jesus rose again. Okay, a set of facts, things that happen. And we think that's it, that's just believing. But, but what he's talking about here goes more beyond just a cognitive uh, understanding or grasping or, or accepting. He's really talking about a relational reality that's exhibited and it's ongoing in our lives. Everyone who believes has this relational faith trust in 
the person of Jesus Christ is born of God. Now, we can't skip that verse because if we skip that verse, we won't, we, we, we'll get out of order here. <laughs> we'll get all messed up. We'll get all confused because he's going to go on to talk about some very important things that are the fruit or the result of believing. But a lot of times as human beings, we, we, we want to get right into the into the, what do, we ha- what do I have to do, right? What, what does this mean for me? And so we start, we start working out all this stuff, and we miss the most important thing, that, that this relationship, God initiates. And if you go back to chapter 4, it's very clear. What does it say? It says, it says that this is how God showed his love for us, right? It's not that we love God, but that he loved us. Did you get that? <laughs> it's that he loved us. And so a lot of times we, we jump into books like First John and we, we feel guilt and we feel heavy and we're like, man, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. Am I really a child of God? Am I really saved? You know, and if we're honest, we've all asked that question. We've all struggled with that. But here's the good news this morning. It's not up to you. <laughs> it's not up to me. God initiated. He loved us first. He wanted you before you even, you even thought about him, even before you even wanted him. He wanted you first. That's awesome. <laughs> Hold that. So what's our part? Our part is to believe, to have faith, to trust. Okay? That's our part. God can't do that for us. And if you think about a healthy relationship, you know, there's a line between abuse and a, and a, and a loving relationship, right? And, and we, we kind of know what that is. We've seen that. We've seen abusive relationships. Maybe some of you have experienced abusive relationships. And, and, and God is not abusive in any way, shape, or form. In fact, First John starts out, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. God is purely good. Purely good. And he has only good for you. But when we ha- think of our human relationships, there's abusive relationships where, where people try to take advantage or try to use. And so we have to understand that when we, it says believe, have faith, to trust, we've been marred by, by mistrust, by bad experiences. People have hurt us, harmed us. And so the invitation here is really to give our hearts to God. Now, I have to think of this passage, it, for me to understand it, I've got to think about it relationally. Because God has revealed himself as a person. He's personal. If you read First John, you can't help but see that he's personal. And he reveals his heart to us first. And it says in First John, back in chapter 4, that he revealed his heart how? In sending his son, Christmas. He sent his son into the world to love us, to die for us. He exposed his heart. How do you have a relationship with another person? You have to open your heart. You have to share yourself with them. Now... My wife, Jill, is here, and my three sons, Charlie, Ethan, and Asher, and, and uh, I, could give, I could tell you a lot about Jill. In fact, I could write up a piece of a one-sheet paper and give you a, a set of facts about her. Um, here's my question. Would you really know her if I just gave you a sheet of paper that described her? You may know some things about her, but would you have a relationship with her? You see, you see, relationships are much more dynamic. And I, I remember the day I first met Jill. <laughs> and that was uh, over 17... No, we've been married 17 years, so that was 20 years ago, right? Over 20 years ago in Chicago. And I said, wow, I want to get to know her. <laughs> and, but there was a process. There was a time where we sat and we talked and we shared. And I began to gain 
trust in her because I discovered she was a certain kind of person. She, there were things I made a mess of. Like I, I made mistakes. I, one day I, I said, let's go for a run in Chicago to see the sunset. And uh, she didn't want to do that. She's not a morning person, but she got up anyway. She showed up. And guess what? I slept in. <laughs> so I left her out there. But you know what I discovered about her? She still loved me. She still forgave me. <laughs> she still married me. <laughs> so I discovered something about her in giving of myself and her giving herself to me. And what did that build? Faith, trust, belief, relationship. That's endured for 17 years. And, and that wasn't a one-time thing. It, and we said our vows, but that's ongoing. This morning, we choose to love each other. We choose to trust each other. We choose to believe in each other. You see, what Jesus is inviting us into is a dynamic, living relationship with Him. And we see this in how Jesus interacted with His disciples. Remember, He came and showed up on the shore of uh, Lake Galilee. And who was there? Peter and James and John, the very author of this sermon was there. And they knew about Jesus because remember, this is a small town, so they had interacted with him some. But they didn't believe yet that he was the Son of God. But he was teaching there, and he came to Peter, and he said, hey, can I, can I borrow your boat? <laughs> can I get in your boat for a second? And, uh, and so he got in the boat, and he pulled out a little from shore, and he kept teaching and the story says that Peter and James and John, they had been fishing all night and they hadn't caught a thing. I mean, they were exhausted. They were tired. Probably a little stressed. They probably felt, I mean, there's some business owners here. You feel a little stressed when, when, when things aren't coming together, right? Like, they're human. And there's Jesus in the boat teaching. And I can imagine they've been up all night. They're ready to go home. And here's this guy using their boat, right? <laughs> they're maybe a little annoyed with him. And then he says, you know what? Why don't you go back out and cast your nets again? Now, if, if I was a fisherman and I knew what I was doing and this guy who didn't know anything about fishing told me what to do, <laughs> how, how would I feel about that? How would you feel about that, right? But they received what he said. They said, you know what? We're going to believe this man. We're going to go out and we're going to throw our nets in the water. And they did. And what does the Bible say? They said they caught overflowing amount of fish. I mean, so much fish, more than they, they could have barely even get the boats in. <laughs> like, mind-blowing. And it says they came to shore, and it says they fell on their knees before Jesus. And they said, they said, we are not worthy to be in your presence. Something happened in their hearts, and they believed. They said, this man is the Son of God. And then, you know what the very next verse is? It says they left everything to follow Jesus. Everything. That's what this passage is. Now, they didn't go out and find Jesus. Jesus found them. He said, I want to use your boat. <laughs> I can guarantee every one of you are here this morning because Jesus showed up in your life in some way. Through someone or in some way, Jesus showed up in your life and revealed his love to you. He starts but then how do we know that this belief is genuine in us? And that's, this is really important. Because in the church, a lot of people were, were kind of walking away. And so the, the, the issue with Jesus is either we really have to follow him, we really have to commit to him, we have to really be in a relationship with him, or if not, we're saying he's a liar. And so this faith isn't just a one-time cognitive 
acceptance of facts. It's a dynamic relationship. And so that dynamic relationship is evidenced in three things. And this is what John says. Everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. And so he says, this is how we know that we are... This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So the first thing is love. Love. Those who have a relationship with Jesus always will exhibit love. And not just like a religiosity love for God, but it's expressed, it's tangible in their love for other people. It's unmistakable. You, you can't be around Jesus and not love because it's who he is. And if he's in us, then that's what's going to be produced. And so... True, genuine belief, faith, trust, relationship with Jesus always results in love. Uh, that's the message of First John. <laughs> God is love, and he's called us to be the kind of people that love. And it's not a selfish love. It's a, it's a giving, agape, sacrificing kind of love. And that's, that's what brings blessing to all of our relationships, whether it's your spouse or your parents, or your children, or your neighbor, or your coworker, or if you're, you have employees, or in your school, love is evidenced towards God and towards others. And so those who are truly believing, trusting, have faith in Jesus, have a strong desire for God. Now, does this mean we love perfectly? No. We still struggle. In fact, First John started out by saying, you're a liar if you don't still sin, if you don't still struggle with sin, right? And so it's not that we gain perfection, but it's the orientation of our hearts, our desire, our longing. Everything in us burns with a desire to love God. That's why we show up on, partly on Sunday mornings. It's why even when no one's looking, you go and you pray, you open your Bible, you read it, you give sacrificially because you love God. And you see the needs of others and you serve others. We are not saved just to go to heaven. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. We are saved to serve. We are saved to give. God is rescuing us from being selfish consumers to be generous givers. Because that's who God is. <laughs> and that's what will bring blessing to our world. That's what changes this world. And that's why Jesus came. He came to revolutionize this world and to revolutionize our lives. And he does it through us believing, trusting, having a relationship with him. And then what does he produce? Love. And then the second thing he produces in us is obedience. Love and obedience go together. Now, some of you are parents, right? So if, you're, if you told your son or your daughter, you know, go, go clean your room, <laughs> and they said, well, we love you, mom and dad, but we're not going to do it. We're, we're just going to do whatever we want. Now, now your relationship... <laughs> You're still their parents. They're still your son or daughter. But what's going to be produced in that moment? Is that going to be uh, a loving, peaceful environment <laughs> at that moment, right? But what if that same child doesn't say anything, but they go and they clean their room? Now, you as a parent, do you, do you feel loved at that moment <laughs> by that child? See, obedience is powerful. Obedience is the, the manifestation of trust that, that my parents, my father knows what's best. As a child, I don't always know. In fact, I, I'm confused a lot of the time. <laughs> so the things I think I, I think I know are best many times aren't. And so, so God has revealed to us what's best, even though it doesn't always feel like it, even though we don't always want to. Obedience flows out of trust. 
Obedience is the fruit of love. And so those who truly believe and trust in Jesus obey. They obey. And the third thing that happens, everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now, we can't reverse these things, but where does this start? It starts with faith, trust, belief. But the fruit of that is all these things, love, obedience, overcoming victory. <laughs> now, I don't want you to leave here today thinking, how do, I, how, do I, how do I make this happen? No, come to Jesus, accept Jesus, and this will happen, and, and he's gracious. I think of Peter who was out on the boat, right, in the storm, and Jesus comes walking across the water, right? And what does Peter start doing? He starts getting afraid, right? And, and his faith is weak. It's small. And Jesus said, all we need is a mustard seed of faith. But as he's sinking, what does Jesus do? Does he beat him over the head <laughs> and say, you're no good. You might as well just sink. No, he grabs his hand. He lifts him out. And that's what John is, is describing here. So everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. This is the victory. Now, if you believe and trust in Jesus, you will have the victory. <laughs> you will not sink. And when John is talking about the world, we have to understand this. He's talking about our hearts. He's not talking about out there. Okay, earlier in the book, he t- described the world as the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He's talking about our hearts. Okay, the world isn't out there. It's, it's right here. We have to be careful. The temptation is here. Remember, Satan came to Jesus and he tempted him three times and it was about things of the heart. It was about trying to make stones into bread, trying to, to find um, um, acceptance or having people speak well of him by jumping off a building, by having all the power and fame and the influence of the politics of this world, the kingdoms of this world. You see, it's about where our trust is, right? And God isn't going to let us sink, but we have to trust him. That's why it starts with belief. But Jesus overcomes the devil. (laughs) And that's what I love about that temptation story is where we fail, he doesn't fail. And so he has the victory. But he begins to bring in us this reality of love and trust that produces obedience so that we can overcome the world. Those temptations to believe, to trust in other things. And so the world is really anything instead of Jesus or anything plus Jesus. So it could be your bank account. (laughs) And here's the question. Are you okay if your bank account isn't okay? Could be the political situation. Are you okay <laughs> if the political situation is not what you want? Are you okay if your relationships are difficult right now? Are we okay in the middle of a pandemic where people are getting sick and dying? This is real stuff, right? It's, it's a storm. And it's easy to sink, right? How do we overcome that world? Because those are all things we can tempt to be trusted. We can begin to put our trust in those things. But all those things can change. Money can disappear. Governments can change. Diseases come and go. Death will come. Nothing's, none of that is 
Jesus calls that shifting sand. If you build your house in the sand, what's going to happen? It's going to get washed away. Don't, don't build your life on those things. It's really about priorities, right? What do we ultimately trust? What's ultimate? What do we ultimately worship? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And here's the miracle. The born of God. So how can we know that God has done the miracle? Our part is to believe, but God does the born. <laughs> we can't, new birth isn't possible. New birth is only possible in Jesus. We can't do that. And so he gives us three things that are evidences that we are born again. And this is what God does. <laughs> this is what God does. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And this is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. So there's three things here. Now, this passage is, is not easy. It's difficult. And, and so there's been a lot of different interpretations or ideas. But I, I just want to keep it simple this morning. Because I think it fits in the context here. And, and, I, and I think this will encourage you and help you. That God has given you three things to remind you of who you are. And that He has done the miracle of new birth. If you think about the context of being born of God, we have to understand this passage in the context of birth. Now, we're coming up on Christmas. What are we celebrating at Christmas? A birth. And remember, Gnosticism denied, the false teaching denied that Jesus actually was born as a human being. Okay? That was the, the false teaching. That they, they said everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good. But John, is, he, he's counteracting that. He's saying, no, God created the physical, and it's good. In fact, it's so good that Jesus was born physically. Now, I, I've witnessed three births, <laughs> and uh, some, there, there's water and there's blood, right? There's water and there's blood. Jesus experienced birth. He came into this world, and so I think it's referring to that. But then it's also referring to three things that are tangible and physical in our realities that affect our daily life. Because God wants to know who we are. And so there's three things. The first thing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I, we don't have time to read it this morning, but I want you to go and read this week Romans chapter 8. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. It's the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible. And what does it talk about? The gift of the Holy Spirit. And how, what does Paul say? He says, how do we know that we're children of God? The Spirit of him who lives within you. And in the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead, he lives in you. Now, if you're a believer here this morning, you know what I'm talking about. You know the presence of God in your life. And it's real. <laughs> you can't explain it. You can't describe it. But you know it. He is with you. He's in you. The Bible says he's a helper. He's a counselor. He empowers. And so this passage is really talking about our justification. We're made new. We're made right through Christ on the cross, but we're also sanctified. His power is in us, working out our salvation in us. His presence, His power in us. The Holy Spirit. And every believer knows that Spirit that is in them. It's a gift. <laughs> you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It was given to you. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. If you see any evidence of that in your life, it's not because of you. <laughs> it's because of the Holy Spirit in you. Amen? The second thing that Jesus gives us is the water. Is the water. Now, 
This is a tangible, physical reminder of what God has done, being born again. Uh, when's the baptism, Derek? January 3rd. Do you remember what Jesus did? He was baptized in water. And what did God say as he was baptized? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's the whole message of 1 John. If you want to hear the message of 1 John, it's this is my son. You are my child whom I love. And with you I am well pleased. (laughs) Jesus was physically baptized in the water to give us physical sign of the reality of new birth. Because it says in Romans chapter 6 is that when we are under the water, it it says the old is gone. That sinful self and rebellion to God is put to death. We are crucified with Christ and we no longer live. But now Christ lives in me. So as we go under the water, you can't breathe. There's no life. And as you come out of water, what do you do? You breathe. Life. (laughs) Resurrection. Something new is created. And so it's not baptism that saves you. How are we saved? Believing, faith, God's love, God's grace. But baptism is that physical reminder, that physical sign that what God is doing is true. (laughs) That he really is the son of God. That he really is making all things new. December 3rd, if you haven't been baptized, January, sorry, January 3rd. (laughs) We already passed December 3rd. (laughs) January 3rd. If you haven't been baptized, take that step. Be obedient to God. Because he said in the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name. The name means who you are. My last name is Green. My children have the name Green. Jill took the name Green because we're a family now. You take the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You take God's name. baptism you're publicly saying i belong to him (laughs) i'm part of his family (laughs) i am his and he is mine baptism the third thing is the blood and we're going to take communion this morning because we want to be reminded what jesus said he says whenever you come together remember what i've done for you remember these are the three testimonies of the reality of new birth That's why we do these things. That's why we do baptism. That's why we do the Lord's Supper because this is a physical, tangible reality that God is creating something new. Now, there's this tension, right, between the now and the not yet, right? We still live in a broken world. People still get sick. And just uh, last week, I went to a funeral of a dear lady who was part of Rimrock Church. And we're still going to die someday. But here's here's what I realized as I was sitting there in that service. And there were tears. And remember, Jesus cried um, when Lazarus, his friend, died. It's, it's okay to grieve. There's grief in this world. There's lament in this world. But I walked away from that service knowing that this woman belonged to God. <laughs> Do you, how I, you know how I know? <laughs> because there was hope. There was peace. There was joy. And there was a testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. We, were, we weren't grieving the same. We were grieving with hope because we knew that the resurrection was real. <laughs> it was true. And Lois, we're going to see her again in a new body. We're going to be made new. This world is going to be made new. That's what God has promised. 
And so one of the best definitions in the Bible for faith is in Romans 4.21. It's being fully persuaded, being fully persuaded that what God has promised is true. And we just live it out, (laughs) believing that it's true. We take him at his word. We believe it. And he's given us these three signs to remind us. He says, but God's testimony is is greater because it is the testimony of God. We believe God has spoken. And we've put a stake in the ground in our lives. And we said, we're going to live believing in Jesus Christ. He is the son of God. And what he said is true, and we know it's true, and we accept this testimony. And this is what it says. God has given us eternal life, and this life in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Go ahead and take your communion elements. I'm going to invite Josh to come on up and carry. Jesus told his disciples that he eagerly, eagerly desired to have this meal with them. And Christians all over the world this morning are taking the same bread. <laughs> there, are, there are Christians in Africa, in Asia, in Europe right now taking this bread. Because we're one body. Our faith is in one Christ and one Lord. And this is what Jesus said. When the hour came and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. There's a day of fulfillment. God's going to keep his promise. He's our shepherd. He's going to make everything new. And this is the tangible, physical reminder of that reality. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. He said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks. Can you say thank you this morning? Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for being born physically and dying physically so that we can be saved physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. In every way, we can be saved and we have life because of you. Take the bread and eat it and remember In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. What is it about blood? Blood is the life source. We're talking a lot about blood these days with coronavirus, right? We're talking about antibodies. We're talking about having certain kind of blood types. Guess what? Because of sin, we all have blood that's bad. But Jesus has perfect blood. The kind of blood that can give us life. The kind of blood that can set us free. The kind of blood that can forgive us. The kind of blood that gives us eternal life. And so we drink this, remembering that it was his blood that was shed. It's poured out for you. He loves you. He gives you his blood. Let's take and remember and drink. Oh, Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. Lord, My heart and my flesh may fail, but God, you are my strength and my portion forever. God, we put our faith in you. The things of this world will pass away. And they're good things, Lord, but they're passing things. We put our ultimate trust, our ultimate hope, our ultimate life in you. 
because we believe that with Jesus we have life. And you say that even though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, we will fear no evil for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they will comfort us. Comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Oh God, you are reconciling, you are restoring, you are renewing, you are making things new. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And your goodness and your mercy will follow us. You anoint our head with oil and our cup overflows. Your mercy and your goodness will follow us all the days of our life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.